Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is our reading. Before you have a seat, will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We praise you, Lord, that in your midst and in your presence we are invited. We pray that you would feed us and that you would teach us. And Lord, we rejoice, asking that you would open our lips that our mouths might declare your praise, and declaring during this time, Lord, that the words of our lips and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Would you please be seated? <clears throat> Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. A lot of faces, obviously, that are familiar, but also some faces that aren't. I'm Scott Geiger. I'm one of the pastoral staff here. I'm normally um, over in Fishers. I've had a fair share of people asking if I turned the wrong direction this morning on the way to church. Um, the answer is no. Um, I was invited to be here, so there, all right? Um, but it is good to be with you. And again, uh, because a lot of you haven't had the chance to be with the brothers and sisters there, um, it's, great, um, it's great to be able to extend greetings from them as well. Um, Pastor Dan's preaching over there today, and, and all of us are dealing with this topic of authority. Right? The authority that you see that Jesus has, the authority that's evident in Mark, in the beginning of Mark, uh, the, the authority with which Jesus teaches and acts. Um, and, and I say this a lot, but times change, people stay the same, right? And I firmly believe that. Uh, people are, are kind of the same in Jesus' time as they are today, and, and you especially see it in a text like today, because they were asking some of the same some of the same questions that we ask today. Questions about authority, right? Anytime you turn on the TV uh, and you watch, uh, you watch news, you watch any kind of information TV, even sports, um, there's always a talking head who's giving their opinion about what's happening, right? And, and I know we're all kind of asking the same question. What makes that person an expert? And in fact, some news channels have tried to kind of capitalize on that. Sports as well, ESPN. They'll put a little box below the person that's speaking and so the person's talking about baseball, and then underneath them there'll be a box that says, you know, played 13 years in the major leagues, coached baseball for 12 years, inducted into the Hall of Fames, that you see that and you go, oh, person's got some credentials, probably an expert worth listening to, right? And then other times you look and you go, well, wait a minute, those are the credentials that you're putting at the bottom of the screen? Like, that's supposed to make me confident that this person's an expert, right? And I have a tip for you about this. The, the tip is this. You guys, you can take this home with you. Um, a blog does not an expert make, right? So this is the kind of wisdom that you can expect out of me this morning, All right? But, but somehow we, we've kind of decided that, that what the experts say goes, or we've decided that what the experts say doesn't go, and we start to challenge this authority, and we sort of run that through in our heads. Um, Pew Research Institute which is a secular group that, that polls our American society, they ask various questions from time to time, and they, they ask questions about authority. And one of the questions that they've been asking for years, that they asked again fairly recently, was, 
uh, how much do you trust in governmental authority to make your life better? All right? There you go. So you just blurted out laughing. Like, that's exactly what you, we're done here, right? That's the point. They asked the question for the first time in 1958. In 1958, 72% of Americans responded that they trusted American, uh, governmental authorities to make their lives better. They asked it again a couple of years ago, and the answer was, chuckle again, right? What do you think the number was? Murmurs. 20%. That was a couple of years ago. I don't know if it would even be worse now. But a lack of trust in, in governmental authority to make life better. You see this kind of undermining of authority. And, and we can trace its roots to all sorts of things. Someone traced it to the baby boomers and what happened in the 60s. Uh, someone traced it to even earlier things and the ways that it's infiltrated us today, still trying to figure out what is authority and who is authoritative and whose opinion should I be listening to and who do I trust to help guide me through life. Times change, but people stay the same. The people in Jesus' day were asking the same questions. They were asking questions about who was authoritative and who could they trust. But in the midst of all of this, the Bible speaks. And the Bible speaks a word that, that almost seems laughable, but it's truth. And the word that it speaks about authority is this. Authority, in all different aspects, is given to us as a gift from God. Authority is given to us as a gift from God, because God uses authority, again, in all sorts of levels and realms, to make our lives orderly, to make our lives better. God gives authority for our comfort, because God intends for this to be a blessing to us. A life lived without authority is something that, that philosophers, political scientists have thought about for years and years. A famous quote from Thomas Hobbes, that some of you probably even remember, is that without authority, life is poor, nasty, brutish, solitary, and short. God intends to stop that. And he does so with his gift of authority. Into the day which Jesus taught, Jesus spoke a different type of word. And Jesus acted a different way among the people. In fact, he, he taught and acted in a way that was kind of completely different than all of the other people that they knew. Look at the Gospel of Mark. Remember what happened last week. Mark had told us about how Jesus drew these first disciples to himself. We saw Jesus revealed as magnetic, right? As James and John, as Simon, Peter, and Andrew started to follow Jesus. Well, he takes those group, that group, that fledgling group of followers, and he leaves these small towns that were along the side of the Sea of Galilee, and now he goes inland a little bit. He goes to a town called Capernaum, and Capernaum is a much bigger place. Capernaum is, at the time, probably about 10,000 people. Now, we live in communities of like 90,000 people, and so we're like, Big deal, 10,000, that's like two of our high schools, right? But at the time, that was a significant town. And it was a town where the latest ideas would be being heard. It was a town where there were good teachers and good leaders. And yet the people who were there were asking questions about authority. When Jesus gets there, he teaches at the synagogue, as was his custom. And as he's teaching at the synagogue on the Sabbath, he's teaching in a way which is different than the others. And one of the things I find most fascinating about this account in the Gospel of Mark is that we have absolutely no idea what Jesus taught about that day. There is zero content given to us. We don't have a single word about what he was teaching. Not like the Sermon on the Mount where we've got multiple chapters 
of what Jesus said, and we can look at it and say, that's what was different. Here, we only have the reaction of the people that he was teaching. And their reaction is one of overwhelming amazement. They're amazed at the way that Jesus teaches, because he teaches not like one of their teachers of the law, Mark tells us. The teachers of the law, the teachers of the day, those teachers in Capernaum would be teaching based on their own understanding. They would be telling the people what they were thinking. Their, their conversations would often start with, I have learned that, or I say that. But Jesus is declaring God's word. And he's declaring it in a very pointed way to the people. And Jesus is a good teacher. Right? And, and, and make no mistake about it, Jesus is a good teacher, and on this day, he's on. And the people are amazed at the way that he's teaching. Have you... Uh, have you had a good teacher? There's somebody in your life, you know, as soon as I say good teacher, hopefully there's a picture of somebody that pops in your head. Right? Yes, you guys have had good teachers? A few of you have. The rest of you, no good teachers. There's still time. Take a class online or something. But that's, you know, when you start thinking about good teachers, you, you probably think of somebody in the unique way that they taught the material. For me, um, it was my high school physics teacher, Mr. Couture. Right? And to give you the picture of Mr. Couture, uh, his given name was actually O'Neill Couture. He was French-Canadian. He had, he had played semi-professional hockey as a young man. And then he went to university, studied to be a physicist, and went to work as a physicist for a tiny little chemical company known as Dow. And, uh, and, and then after a career in this, he retired early so that he could teach snot-nosed high schoolers like me. Right? But what was awesome about his teaching was that it was always punctuated. Well, it was punctuated by a couple things. One is if he thought we weren't paying attention, he always kept a bowling ball under the lab table. And so he would just bring it out and drop it on the lab table. That gets your attention no matter what you were doing, right? But it was always punctuated especially with, with stories from industry, with stories from the life that he had lived formerly. And I, I remember one of them in particular. He was teaching about lever arm distance. Right? For those of you that remember your science classes, lever arm distance. He's teaching about this, and he stops and he says, uh, there was a time when, uh, when 20 of us physicists, some of the brightest minds in the world, were working on a specific problem. We were moving a reactor across a plant, and we forgot the lesson of lever arm distance, and we dropped the reactor, and we damaged it, and we split the floor of the plant. Millions of dollars worth of damage. And so he's telling us this story, and as high school kids, we're all like writing down, lever arm distance, super important. Right? Because he wasn't just teaching knowledge out of a book, but he was illustrating it because he had lived it. And he understood its importance in a way that was different than other people. He was a good teacher, and he taught with authority. Jesus, this day, is a good teacher. And he's teaching out of an experience that the people can't yet understand, can't fully grasp of what the authority with which Jesus teaches, its origin, where it comes from. And they're overwhelmed by what he does. They're overwhelmed by his teaching that day. And in the midst of it, in the midst of it, he's interrupted. Right? Because a man comes into the synagogue, a man filled with an unclean or impure spirit, a man that we might say was demonized. Right? And he comes in and he confronts Jesus. Again, all sorts of questions start firing off in our brains. Like, what's a demon-possessed man doing in the synagogue anyway? And we're reminded that as the work of God increases, so also does the work of Satan. And that the devil is constantly confronting Jesus in his ministry. And this is only the first time in the Gospel of Mark 
that we get to see it. He's already been in the desert wilderness. But we get to see it here. And as this man comes forward, you can almost picture him pointing his finger at Jesus, and you can almost hear him speaking in an otherworldly voice as this demon speaks through him. I know who you are. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, it's interesting because this is the name that had been used with the disciples before. Jesus of Nazareth. The demon is pointing out specifically who this Jesus is. I know who you are and you're the one. You're the one that I've come to confront, not the rest of you. I know who you are. And what do we have in common? What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth, the demon asks? Have you come to destroy us? You know the answer to that question. What's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. Jesus has absolutely come to destroy demons. He's absolutely come to overwhelm the powers of darkness that work in the world. That's absolutely why Jesus comes. And so when this demon asks the question, the demon is right. And he's right to be fearful. And then he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I'll ask you again, is the demon right? Yes, the demon is absolutely right. The demon understands this in a way that the people can't, understands exactly who this Jesus is and what his purpose here is. He comes for a fight this day, but he's overmatched by the authority of Jesus. In the midst of Jesus teaching with authority like none other, the people who are gathered that day will see Jesus act with an authority like none other. They will see Jesus act in a way that initially is surprising because the demon speaks these words about Jesus and he gets it right. And the first thing that Jesus says sternly to the demon is be quiet. Speak no more. Actually, what he says is muzzle it. He won't let the demon speak this about him. That might seem kind of confusing. Why wouldn't Jesus want this to be spoken? But it's really simple. Jesus will not allow the first confession of who he is and what he's doing to come from such a source. Be quiet. Muzzle it. Come out of him. And at this declaration, the demon convulses the man, shakes him as if he's being torn in two, and comes out of him with a loud shriek. And the people who are there are overwhelmed with amazement. They're overwhelmed by what they've seen. And then this is what Mark says. Mark says that the people then began to debate among themselves. They began to discuss among themselves who this Jesus was. Right? They began to discuss and debate who this Jesus was who cast out demons in their midst. Think about that for a second. They begin to debate. What was there to debate? Right? There was somebody who saw this happen, saw the man convulsing violently, thrown on the floor, shrieking as this demon comes out of him, and somebody stood there and was like, I don't really, I don't know what he, I didn't see it. Times change, but people stay the same. They saw something that they couldn't understand. They saw that Jesus, in a very visible way, had power over things that were invisible. Things that they didn't want to know about and didn't want to talk about. 
And sometimes that's like us. We don't want to talk about things like impure and unclean spirits. We don't want to talk about, about people being demonized because those things, those things are out there. And they're invisible. And we just want to believe that they don't exist. We want to turn a blind eye to them. Why? Because we can't control them. Because try as we might, we can't protect ourselves from those things. Because we simply don't have the authority. But Mark is creating an aha moment for his hearers. Mark is creating a moment for the people who are reading this. So we'll look and go, oh, wait a minute, he does these visible things so that we understand that he's teaching and acting with an authority like none other because he has this authority over things that are visible and things that are invisible. He has authority over all things, and it's seen in events like this that this is an authority that Jesus has. He teaches and acts like no one else. Now bring this full circle. God gives authority for our comfort. Jesus teaches and acts with an authority like none other because he is none other than the Holy One of God, that he is the Son of God incarnate who has come among his people, that this is precisely who Jesus is and God has given him as a gift to us, as a supreme gift that we would be comforted in all of our afflictions, that we would be comforted as we are plagued in fear, things that are seen and things that are unseen, things that are visible and things that are invisible, that we would know that Jesus has the authority to overcome them all. And because Jesus has this authority, he can suffer punishment on our behalf that we might be forgiven, that Jesus can earn forgiveness that we can't earn for ourselves. That we would know that Jesus has authority over unclean and impure spirits because we don't want to know about all those things that are happening in an invisible world around us. But we can know that we are safe because Jesus has authority to command those things. And we can know that Jesus has authority over all enemies, including death, because he will act like none other when he triumphs over death through his resurrection. That we would know, brothers and sisters, that Jesus teaches and acts with an authority like none other because he is none other than the Holy One of God and that God intends that for our comfort. That you and I would know that Jesus is a gift of God given to us. That we don't need to be in charge of all these things, that we are free to be who we are. We're free to be people because we know the grace of our God, the one who covers over each one of us, the one who calls us out of a life that otherwise would be nasty, poor, brutish, solitary, and short into a life punctuated by forgiveness and safety, love, and eternity. Jesus taught and acted with an authority like none other because he is none other than the Holy One of God for us. For the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.